Des Moines, Iowa. This is your Chapo. Let's fucking go. Des Moines, Iowa. You, it's if you'll for me to say it, it's low key kind of nutty in here tonight. <laughs> They've got Cobb madness. Des Moines, we are now ending our week long sojourn among the corn with you here tonight. As experienced campaign reporters, we have come out to cover the Iowa State Fair and connect and report on what voters in the, what I like to describe as the TikTok belt of America, (laughs) the part of the country where 90% of all TikToks on the karaoke-based social media app are recorded. (laughs) I want to talk to the Joker and Harley Quinn costume couples. I want to talk to the adults who talk in the baby voice. And I want to connect and know what they're thinking about America. The fastest growing block in this country is people who got married at Disneyland. (laughs) So, Iowa. Uh, To start off, I think the first thing we need to tell you about as far as our our, our trip here to Moines is, and uh, we talked a little bit about it on our, our show yesterday, but for you now, we have visual evidence of the sort of, how shall I describe the house you're staying at? It is a Asian-themed polycule dojo. (laughs) And I think we should let the good people here take a look at the poly palace that we've been staying at. Oh, Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait, wait, wait. This is a different thing. Okay. This is some of the activities that are taking okay, place. Okay, well, one of the aspects of the Poly Palace that the, our host was uh, kind enough to present us with was a certain game where you either win or you die. Play the clip. All right, all right. Uh, this one is... A blade of dragon glass comes into your possession. Collect one uh, stag. Yes, folks, that is the Game of Thrones edition of Monopoly. And we have a special treat for you tonight. However, as you heard the... Drop that beat. So we have that. I hope none of you... I hope none of you uh, don't like that song or will be sick of hearing it at least 30 times more. So... We are staying at the, uh, the Game of Thrones Poly Palace. So let's just take a, a, a quick... We have a slideshow prepared for you tonight, so yeah. Yeah, this is definitely the headquarters of a martial arts-themed sex cult. <laughs> Way of the fist, indeed. Uh, uh, next slide. Yeah. Oh, here we go. That, that's the kitchen. <laughs> Now, I don't know if you can tell, but in the upper right of this image appears to be a, a, a miniature fuck zone in the kitchen. Yeah, it's a tiny little fuck crevice. It's not like one of those breakfast nooks with a table where you could eat breakfast. It's just a little cubby covered in, covered in very comfortable-looking uh, pillows. Velvet. Yeah, it's for when you get horned up while you're making ravioli. All right, uh, next one. Okay, okay, what you're seeing here is, is sort of, this is, a, this is a, uh, one of the living rooms, and this is actually sort of like a wooden bridge over a moat. 
it that, was that is dry. It was a dry moat, but clearly it was some sort of plastic well, water was... feature that in, in fatter times back in the 70s, they had water piped in to go under that bridge. The term you're looking for is grotto. Yes, it was a grotto, but now it's just a big dry rock. It's a metaphor for America. Uh, is there another poly picture? Oh, no, no, no. Come oh, back. No. Come back. Uh, <laughs> so, Vaudeville Muse, we got here on uh, Thursday afternoon, Thursday night. Uh, but Friday was our first day at the fair. And we were there. We did not get full saturation coverage of all the candidates, but we covered most of them with official press passes. And by the way... I know today uh, Chris Cuomo threatened to throw a guy down a flight of stairs for calling him Fredo. Well-known anti-Italian slur, Fredo. But I got it. I mean, obviously Chris Cuomo is a, a, a fucking moron for taking that angle to this incident. However, the guy who was uh, accosting him was some fucking James O'Keefe Project Veritas guy. So I just got to say this to the boys of Project Veritas. Winter is coming. <laughs> no, but like, there's all these people like the, uh, uh, the girl who asked Joe Biden how many genders there are. From, <laughs> that was so good. From toilet paper. Just you- heave the pigskin down the field like Brett Favre. God bless him. Now, between Chris Cuomo and Joe Biden, this has really been the week of let them fight. <laughs> no, but I, I, I wonder if these, uh, these sort of like, you know, uh, Roger, you know, Roger Stonettes, the, the Roger Pebbles, if you will, <laughs> uh, if they realize that you can just like say you're with the media and they'll give you a fuck, or just go in the it's media true. area and ask for a lanyard and they just give it to you. If you guys want to get into access passes to place at the fair, just pay to get in and then go to the, the media tent and say, hey, I'm with CNN, and then just write a fake name down and they'll give you a lanyard. That's not a joke. That's 100% true. I'm with uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I was with Tumblr, but then they made some policy changes. That <laughs> I'm pretty sure that you could use that to get into the, to, like, the big concert every night, too. You know, I'm pretty sure that would be enough. So if you wanted to see Slipknot for free, that was your chance. I think the Zac Brown Band is still available if anybody wants a free gander at those boys. So we arrived at the Iowa State Fair on Friday, and what was the first thing we did? Why, it was run into Freedom Dividend entrepreneur Andrew Yang. Uh, who, who's that at the door? Let's, let's look at that picture. <laughs> See, this is how you know that he's a per, per political amateur. He went with the giant turkey leg which is just way too big and unwieldy to carry around being a politician. You go corn dog, maybe hot dog on a stick. Something is done in three or four bites and isn't that weighty. We, I was watching this poor bastard. He kept having to fucking like switch hands for the turkey wag before he would shake somebody's hand. It was a disaster. He's not ready for prime time, folks. <laughs> he is? Well, that wasn't in question. Uh, didn't you hear me say he wasn't a damn thought? That he wasn't a snack? That he wasn't an entire goddamn meal? 
Look at that necklace swole rigger going on there. That is one tough nerd. Fuck you, Rick Schneider. Will told me earlier today that uh, Kirsten Gillibrand was awarded best fit by the mainstream media, but uh, I don't know. There's something about the way Andrew Yang is dressed, wearing a blazer in 95-degree heat, that <laughs> uh, just I think it's very fashion-forward. We have uh, Virgil, Texas, and Andrew Yang in matching turkey legs and matching fits on a scorching hot day at the Iowa State Fair. Uh, two bits of actual uh, shoe leather reporting here that I can uh, tell you about Andrew Yang. Uh, passing this along from uh, Dave Weigel, I think, who says that at campaign events, Andrew Yang comes out to the song Return of the Mac by Mark Morrison. And he said that, like, hey, Yang is keeping it real loose, and it's like he comes out to that song because he's like, it's just a pimp song. It slaps. <laughs> it's cool as hell, yeah. And number two, this is our own personal reporting. Uh, we, got, we got in sort of the, uh, the walking scrum. There, there are two different kinds of scrums here. There's the press scrum, which you can attend if you have a camera and a lanyard. And then there's the walk-around scrum. This is where the, cam- you know, this is where the candidates press the flesh and you know, talk to the small folk. Uh, but Andrew clocked Virgil, of course, and uh, embraced him. This was the, the one, the, the, not, not, the, the, not the first, but won't be the last candidate to embrace Virgil, Texas. And I met him for the first time, and he said to us that we were a, quote, personal inspiration to him. It's true. There you have it. The first endorsement of the season. So when you guys are living in underground beehives... Drinking freedom slurry out of giant gerbil uh, water dispensers. Thank us for inspiring President Yang. So we, we, didn't, we didn't catch Andrew Yang's speech. Uh, you know, the, the soapbox. The Des Moines Register soapbox. Not How many an actual people... soapbox. Poor <laughs> shit. <laughs> Flying fake news media. Not using a real soapbox, even though they call it one. So... The first candidate we saw give his full pitch and press scrum at the Des Moines Register soapbox is John Delaney. We got some, uh, yeah, yeah, we got some, we got some, yeah, we got some John Delaney acts in the house tonight. I think I realized his popularity. It has nothing to do with his policies. It's people who can appreciate dudes who can keep it tight in their middle age. Because he's fucking yoked. This is, of course, my original reporting on John Delaney. Uh, My only real contact with him was uh, watching um, those interminable Democratic debates where he looked like uh, Bill Dutroux from King of the Hill. Bill Dutrieve. Bill Dotrieve. Bill Dotrieve. Ooh. 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 First gaff of the... That's going to cost him in the caucuses. Gambo. Gambo. That's going to cost him in the caucuses. (laughs) Valor Borgulis, Will. Feeling like Joe Biden. Joe Biden. So... I, uh, I mean, I guess I'm not the first person to report on this, but I was actually stunned to see him up there in that tight-ass polo shirt. And holy shit, this dude is cut. He was, he was like, sprouting out of his slacks like a mighty oak. He was like his draggle the world tree, holding up the sky with his big ropey arms. 
He is absolutely allegedly on gear, by the way. There's no way a man his age is that swole without medical intervention. We're talking HGH, we're talking the cream, we're talking the clear, allegedly. And you know, when I say that, you know, when we say that, you know, he's allegedly on HGH and gear to look like that, I don't mean that as a knock on him. I think we should all fucking Yeah, it means he shit. wants it enough to fucking go for it. Not like all the other fucking 50 plus losers walking around with their beer guts and their fucking put, uh, golf polos. Just like, well, I guess I'll just wait to die. Not John Delaney. He's fucking been running for president for two years. All while shredding his ancient fucking pecs with, with God-defying amounts of, of steroids and exercise. So uh, I wish I could report to you on what he said during his uh, soapbox speech. I think it was something about his success uh, in the private sector yeah. and pragmatic solutions. I don't know. I fucking... I tuned. blacked out. I just like... I blacked out. He started talking. I heard something about tax incentives, and I woke up floating in one of the sample above-ground pools that they're selling. You all know why... Uh, I don't know if you ever said this on the show. You all know why John Delaney's rich, right? Why he's a multimillionaire. Charles Atlas stretching machines? <laughs> <laughs> no, he uh, made his money through uh, some medical billing firm. Yeah. Pure parasitism on the healthcare industry. No, as Will put it to me, he made his money in the most evil part of an already evil industry. I will attribute that to Chris Wade, actually. But he's fucking jacked, and that's all that matters. Okay, so... He's jacked. So in his press scrum, obviously the only thing I could think about is the fact that his upper body looks like a fucking statue. So I was able to ask him a question, and I said, could you talk a little bit about your workout routine? Because you're looking completely jacked. And here's what I learned, right? This is the first question I got to ask of a presidential candidate. And what I learned, like, right off the bat is, like, no matter how fucking goofy they appear on television or the things they say, they're actually, like, really on top of the ball when it comes to, like, not being thrown off their game. Because, like, if, to be a presidential candidate, everyone who talks to you, everyone who sees you is just trying to knock you off a pedestal or get you to say something fucking dumb all the time. And uh, 65 genders! <laughs> And they're very good at it. So I asked him, could you talk about your workout routine? You're looking pretty swole out there. And he goes, I've been wrestling with the press. <laughs> Which I got to say is like a pretty good comeback. <laughs> so yeah, when, when you look at John Delaney and you see him in a suit, and then you see him out of it in his like, you know, stretch polo. We were talking about how he looks like someone put like the head of a doll on an action figure. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, you know the, like the, the evil kid from the first Toy Story, Sid? Yeah, it's like he put a Cabbage Patch Kid head on a big G.I. Joe. And that is really the, the, the kind of look and energy that uh, John Delaney brings. Yeah, he's like the King Cake Baby, like, really got into upper body workouts. All right. <laughs> You heard it here first, folks. He would, he would kill all of us. <laughs> yeah. He would all rip everyone us. in this room in half like a phone book. <laughs> he would beast Gorka easily. Easily. I've seen both of them in person, up close. And Gorka may have the technically height and weight on John Delaney, but no. John Delaney would go through him like the fucking Kool-Aid man through a brick wall. Despite, of course, being a pussy. 
I'd just like to... Okay. Uh, Joe Stistak would then absolutely annihilate Dindalaney <laughs> using his own part and martial arts system. He would like get a wrist lock on him and immobilize him instantly. Well, we will get to the Admiral in a little bit. But moving on from John Delaney, I want to talk about the second candidate who, as soon as they saw Virgil, Texas, they warmly embraced them in their arms. And that, of course, is... Our girl, Marianne Mindset, Marianne Williamson. Now, we really wanted to get her back to the polypad. So fucking bad. It would have been like, oh, yeah. I lived exclusively in houses like this for the last 30 years. So, uh, I don't know if you guys can see it, Matt. Uh, Duck down for a second. This is an actual press photo taken and if you'll see here, right in the middle is a rare mat. This is a rare cush right in the foreground uh, with Marianne doing, doing her spiel That's on me. the soapbox. So, take away from Marianne's thing. Uh, she immediately started talking about uh, mass shootings right off the bat, and I was like, damn, keeping it real. But she, she had like sort of the, I think the, the sort of takeaway line of the state fair. Which was, Matt, what's the takeaway line? It might take a while for Americans to get riled up enough to do something. But when they do, they really know how to slam it. (laughs) And in 2020, Americans are going to slap it hard. Or slam it hard. Slam it. Slam it hard. Slam it to a Slim Jim. She slams it. She's about slamming slamming it hard. And I agree, we're going to do that. Love slam. So Marianne, uh, uh, at the press scrum, uh, here, here, here is the reporting I'm going to bring to you. She was asked one of the first questions by the press. How, you know, how are you going to break out of this crowded Democratic pack? And she answered, I already have, honey. <laughs> she said, I'm the most Googled. I'm the most Googled candidate. Look it up. I've already broken out of the pack. All right, let's go. Okay, so in between uh, Marianne and the next one, there was an amusing diversion at the Iowa State Fair put on by, I don't know, your state police department? It was an amusing diversion I would like to call the, the, the drug trailer. So why don't we take a look at that? Parents, talk to this man to see what alcohol or narcotic substances your child is using. So he saw, so he saw, okay, so it's like a, it's a mobile trailer set up by the Iowa State Police. And essentially the, the idea of it is it's like, you know, parents come in the drug trailer. And what they do is it's like a simulation of a child's bedroom. And they're going to show you all of the paraphernalia all of the hiding places and all of the signs that your child may be on drugs. And, uh, and, and, here, and here set up out front, they have this like, glass display of all the different kind of drugs you can do and what you should be on the lookout. You know, if you just see... You know, yeah. By the way, I will say, I looked at that whole board and PCP's not in there, so I think it's fine. <laughs> I was going to say, there is a... 
There is this uh, uh, glass case board right in front of me called the, you see here, the Drug Identification Guide. Now, this was Friday, so we had been cut off for about 16 hours at that point <laughs> from our standard uh, uh, New York drug supply. So we were really contemplating punching through that glass to get that whip it. And I was like, this looks like a garlic salt. And they were like, oh, they're not real drugs, obviously. Again, they're, they're, their whole pitch here is we know how to find the drugs. And I'm like, well, what's up with this fake shit? Uh, how so, come there's no DMT, 2CB, LSD, ketamine in there? This is, uh, we should talk. So uh, I'm like, fuck yeah, show me, show me the drug trailer. I want to know, know all the hiding places. And uh, Matt and I went into the trailer. By the way, uh, the, the, another hilarious feature of this is that I was holding a giant beer in my hand the entire time I was doing this. Was like, oh, this, this is the good drug. And uh, it was like, you know, our friend, the officer, gave us like a personal tour of this trailer. And it's like, again, it's this like airsats version of like a teenage boy's bedroom. And what I learned from it is that uh, basically the Simpsons, Supreme, and Rick and Morty are all signs that your kids are on drugs. Also, uh, another big tell is if your child has a giant poster of Pablo Escobar in their bedroom. <laughs> oh my God. That was one of them. So one of the things they had out there was they had in the little bed nook, they had two posters. One was Tony Montana, you know, World is Mine, and the other was Pablo Escobar. And the cop was saying, well, you know, your parents, they might not know who that is, you know, Tony Montana from Scarface, that whole movie that, that people remember, but they might not know who that is. They, they just think it's a nice-looking guy with a mustache and a leisure suit, you know? It's like, yeah, my, my son, I think he's a fan of 1970s football coaches. <laughs> I assume. I don't have any other frame of reference. But apparently then you're supposed to go in there and be like, that's a drug dealer? Oh, Tyler, you're getting a talking to when I get home. So this is like, this is so fucking funny. So the guy's taking us through this like, uh, you know, set up uh, bedroom that's filled with more drugs than I've ever like owned at any one time in my life ever. And it's like, you know, you open up a book and it's like, oh, fucking like, you know, Coke or X falls out of the pages of it. You're like, oh, it's a fucking treasure trove here. And then he starts showing us all like the, the sort of cut out bottoms of water bottles or like a, a peanut butter jar with a piece of PVC piping put down the middle where you could put your stash. And then he showed us an actual glass pipe and he's like, real marijuana has been smoked out of this. Get, get, get a sense of that smell. Get a sense of that smell. Ooh, gross. And I'm like, real again, marijuana has been smoked out of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, none of that K2 bullshit. <laughs> and I was like, you know, he's very earnestly giving us this door and they're like, you know, you see these, uh, you know, like, you know, straws that are cut in half. Chances are they're not for milkshakes or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, wait, aren't you a cop? Like, can't you tell I'm high right now? <laughs> You're just giving us advice on how to hide drugs from the police. Should they ever search our establishment? By the way, the way to do that is take the lesson from the purloined letter. The best way to hide something, hide it in plain sight. <laughs> To your point about hiding in plain sight, though, my absolute favorite detail of this uh, police-created uh, simulacrum of teenage drug use is that in this teenage boy's bedroom, 
like right under the TV, he had a framed photo of a teenager, <laughs> presumably the child himself, smoking a bowl. If, and I was you, like, <laughs> if you see that in your child's bedroom, it's a warning sign. And I was like, presumably it's not going to be that. If your child has posed for Larry Clark, that is a warning <laughs> sign. And I was like, officer, presumably it's not going to be that easy for every parent. <laughs> and he was like, well, no, we're just, you know, trying to give a, you know, impression here. Uh, but what I liked about it is uh, right afterwards, Will just said to me, you know, I, I, I almost like broke out laughing inside because I just want to say, you know, we think this is a joke, right? <laughs> <laughs> so after our experience... Like there's uh, fentanyl in your water supply. <laughs> and you're like, here's what to do if uh, you find poppers in your child's bedroom. <laughs> so... After learning about drugs, we got a chance to uh, see another candidate. That would be the second most Googled person after the debate behind Marianne Williams, Tulsi Gabbard. No, that's, that's not... There, I don't think we have a picture of Tulsi. Yeah, there's no, uh, no, no picture of Tulsi. No Instead, picture of... <laughs> let's just all give Virgil a big round of applause. <laughs> For being inducted into the Horseman Hall of Fame. That is the Hall of Fame exclusively for the number one Bojack Horseman fans. <laughs> and it is richly deserved. Look, I'm not the number one fan, but I do think it's a good show. So Tulsi's soapbox, Tulsi's soapbox pitch began straight off the bat with just talk about her being a troop. And how much she loves being a troop. It's a lot of troops. And how shit. much she learned from being a troop, and how she like joined the National Guard after 9/11, which is which is interesting because she has a reputation for being like the anti-imperialist candidate. But Vir, but Virgil Virgil, you you in the, in, in the we had an opportunity to ask her a question in in the press area. You want to tell us how that went? Yeah, sure. We so we went to the scrum afterwards, and what's interesting about the scrum is. You know, I, 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 had the, I had a question to ask her, and I was, uh, I, I was thinking back in my head, uh, I'm going to ask this question, it's stupid, and everyone's going to be like, ah, fuck you. But then I got the chance to listen to what actual normal human journalists are asking, and it's just the most like deplorably pathetic, stupid bullshit that, like, oh, okay, I get it now. This is not a, a real serious process. We're just yelling things. Uh, so I get to yell at Tulsi Gabbard, uh, are you an anti-imperialist? Because for fucking months, every crank has gotten mad at us for not supporting Tulsi Gabbard because she's the anti-imperialism candidate. And so you asked her. I asked her. Got her straight from the horse's mouth. And you what, know what she said? What would she say? Uh, well, if you're asking me if I love America, then I love America and I believe in American greatness. And blah, 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 blah. You know what it is. So there you go, on the record, Chapo, breaking news, Tulsi Gabbard, not anti-imperialist. Take that, Jimmy Dore. <laughs> <laughs> so that, uh, as first Friday goes, that was the last candidate of the day that uh, we saw. That was she, Tulsi closed it out, the soapbox for that day. And then, uh, for like you know, the second half of the day, we just got a chance to do fair stuff at the Iowa State Fair. We saw the butter cow. <laughs> Wait, this guy in the front is booing the butter cow. <laughs> boo, boo this man. <laughs> oh. It's a bit of whimsy in people's otherwise grim lives. 
A cow made of butter. How? What else do you require? Can I introduce you in a butter television? It was a working television set molded. Made of butter, sir. I'd like to see you make such a thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, the butter TV worked. So now you got to shut up. <laughs> uh, this is a pig. Sorry, I don't have a picture of the butter cow. Oh, yeah. Well, I assumed everyone would know what the butter cow looks like. Everyone knows what the butter cow looks like, but of course, I think... Everyone actually... in this room has made love to the butter cow. <laughs> uh, you want me to just run through these, Will? Yes. My favorite thing at the fair was the livestock bars, right? We saw cows, horses, sheep, piggies, and a few kitchen, chickens. chickens yeah. uh, what, I, what I like the best, though, is that there is a, uh, there's a giant uh, building called the Swine Barn... And I thought it was great finally to uh, meet the people who comment on our Reddit. (laughs) Hit that gambo. Hit that gambo. That's a gambo. Got him. Uh, This big boy right here is named uh, Brutus. He's one of the uh, giant hogs that were available for viewing. So basically what I learned from the, uh, the livestock area... When I looked at all of the beautiful cows and their sort of like big gentle eyes, I was like, fuck, Morrissey is right. God damn it. <laughs> and when I say he's right, I mean about everything. <laughs> so yeah, uh, why don't you play the, uh, the, the hog video? Oh, here yeah, we go. let's look at, look at this. is our boy Brutus. Look at that. Hi, ah. my name is Brutus. I'd like to know why the episode is late. <laughs> Pigs are so just disturbingly human. Their skin is very hu- similar to human skin. They are the s- most similar anatomically to humans. Going to the lives, going to the pig barn is like visiting John Wayne Gacy's crawl space. For real, it's like you pet them before you eat them, folks. What was it like? What was it? One, one of the one of the animals that like name Buttercup Purpose, purpose Meat. <laughs> It said, yes, nay, buttercup, purpose, meat. But you know what? In a moment, a bit of me was uh, jealous of her. To so clearly and unquestionably know your purpose. To be able to go through life knowing I am meat. Not have to wonder, oh, what am I supposed to be doing? Should I go back to grad school? No, meat. So yeah, to conclude uh, our, our, my, my first day's observations of the Iowa State Fair, of you know, uh, the cattle call of candidates and the actual cattle, and the, just the crowd in general here at the fair, is I would say, like, Iowa... I said this the other day. Iowa, you really hate incurable diseases, and you want to do anything you can to fight them. Because I, I thought, like, basically half of the people on Friday at the fair looked like they spent every weekend doing charity 5Ks to cure Alzheimer's, cancer, you know, Parkinson's, and all, all, of the, all the, the real maladies that afflict the human race. And the other half of the people there were actively suffering from all of them. <laughs> Time is the real reign of Casimir. So that... That closes out Friday, right? Friday was great. 
We were pumped. It's my birthday the next day. And then... Thank you. Thank you, everybody. It's the beginning of his birthday year. Yeah. It's my, it's my birthday <laughs> year, guys. Come on, be nice. Uh, so, yeah, so we end Friday. We're feeling good here in Iowa. We're making sure... We're, we're seeing the candidates. We're fucking... We're loving. We're having a great time. I wake up Saturday morning, and tragedy struck. We woke up to the news. You never really know what you truly love until you don't have it anymore. And it was like, I woke up, I checked my phone, I, I see the text. Yes, yes, that's who we're talking about. I see the text, and I'm like, damn. I only talked to him like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> and now he's gone forever. Fuck. Cast a real pall over our Saturday, I gotta say. Feeling like pure shit. Just want him back. So, so depressed. So depressed. <laughs> blessed. Blessed. So depressed that we couldn't even make it to the fairgrounds in time to see Kamala Harris or Tim Ryan speak. Yeah, that's too bad. But, you know, we needed a proper uh, morning period. We needed to spend the morning just looking out the window at the rain, (laughs) thinking about Jeffrey. So we get there. The first candidate of the day on the soapbox is... Amy Klobuchar, Amy Two Targaryen. Drop that beat, DJ. Drop that beat. The mother of dragons! Uh, I, don't, I don't have a picture of Amy. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have a picture of Amy. She's the mother of dragons, folks. She will come for her birthright with fire and blood and staplers and binders and fucking pumps and whatever else it takes to get it through you people's fucking heads that this is a professional fucking office. So we saw, we saw a Klobuchar at the soapbox, and I got to say, really not making our tragic day any funner or better in any way. She did not come out like any decent human being would and say, holy shit, they killed him. I would have spread my support to anybody who came up that day on Saturday, and first thing out of their mouth was, holy shit, they fucking killed him. I would support them, whoever it was, to the end of the earth. But not a single one of those motherfuckers had the guts to even say that. Settle down. Okay. So, uh, you know, again, I wish I could tell you more about her uh, stump speech, but like all of these, I just sort of... It was almost as good as what Matt's saying. (laughs) It was like, uh, you've heard of Iowa nice. Well, there's Minnesota nice. Of, of what little I remembered, she talked about how she uh, launched her campaign in Minnesota in the middle of a fucking snowstorm, and there was like, uh, you know, snow piling up on her head. And oh, she interesting. Was, oh, cool. And then she yeah. was like, you know, well, it's it's hot here today, so isn't that crazy? Yeah, isn't it ironic? Time moves forward. What a trip. I, I you know, I forgot everything she said because I think, as Virgil pointed out. She was talking in like a tone and frequency that only other Midwesterners can hear. Right, it's like those whistles that only teenagers can hear because of the frequency. But for mi- only Midwesterners can understand when she talks. For us, 
uh, uh, sophisticates from the East Coast. We just hear total silence. Well, as a Midwesterner, I could hear her. I was able to... I, Hey, he's from, he's from Wisconsin, okay? Calm down. <laughs> boo! Boo! Yeah, it sure does suck to have access to actual bodies of water. No, I understood what she was saying, but the content still was absolute just pablum. But I, what I enjoyed is, even though she was just talking about, you know, reaching across the aisle bullshit, she had a very specific, powerful energy in that she felt like somebody's aunt at the wedding who grabbed the microphone and she was not supposed to be talking. And I was like, oh, Christ, Diane's at it again. And so that was fun. And if anyone's wondering, the uncle equivalent of that is Jay Inslee. So we got to the press scrum right afterwards. And again, we could ask some questions. Uh, And we'll take the reins on this one. We had talked to uh, Dave Weigel earlier that day who'd been covering all the candidates. And he said uh, that the press scrums we missed... Uh, the press corps had Epstein on the brain. They had been asking all the candidates about Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, honestly, uh, the hunters have the sense now. <laughs> I know we've been, uh, yeah, they're, 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 they're getting in that, in that brain space. And we really thought, you know, oh, if we go up and we ask all the candidates about Jeffrey Epstein, we're going to seem like, you know, weirdo conspiracy theorist cranks. But then, like, actual this people... This is not a town hall, from, sir. Yeah, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up. Please but shut actual up. people from ABC News and uh, BuzzFeed and GooGooGaga.com were asking her about Jeffrey Epstein, and so did our friend Will. Yes, I got the second question into Klobuchar after the, uh, you know, the Des Moines Register, you know, they cheat here. They make it so that they get to ask. After the lying Des Moines Register. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck the Register. <laughs> uh, no, and I, I asked Klobuchar, uh, do you support uh, like opening up an ongoing investigation into the Epstein case? Because he's a senator. You can do that shit yeah. when you're a senator. So, and then like uh, someone was like, boo, or whatever. And she was like, no, no, no. Or, like, you know, it's a reasonable question. This is like a real issue. And she started launching into a kind of like uh, sort of half non-committal answer about how like, yes, there are many questions we raised. We need to get to the bottom of this. And we need to get to the bottom of this, blah, blah, blah. The answer blah. was no. And then, and then Matt yells over my shoulder, will you hold hearings? And she gives, she gives him a little hand motion like this. And then looks at him, and I caught the look, and it was fire and blood. <laughs> she was just like, get me a stapler to brain this fucking oaf with. I was feeling like Varys. I was about to get fucking roasted. <laughs> oh, come I think on! Paid attention. Come on! Oh, sorry. Dude, yeah, get the fuck out of here. No, I'm I'm sorry. We shouldn't have said it. <laughs> so Amy gave a uh, you know she addressed the question but gave kind of a, a non-answer. I, no, bullshit answer. It made us more depressed. This was the utter nadir of of our entire trip because we had planned to be here for several days and frankly uh, after losing our best friend. Uh, our biggest Patreon supporter and <laughs> this bullshit Amy fucking Klobuchar answer. We just were like, fuck it, let's just go home. Forget it. And then I was like, no, no, let's just see the next candidate. You know, let's, let's, just, see, let's just see the next candidate. So we were feeling like shit, feeling bored, feeling depressed, feeling mournful. Feeling like there's no hope in politics. If they could just whack out Epstein in full view of everyone with no repercussions, why do you think an election's going to change anything, you know? Just feeling really, really down. But then... 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 We saw a man. Not just a man. An admiral. Oh. 
the yeah. admiral showed up. Admiral Joe Sestak. You will salute a commanding officer on deck. Salute him, sir. (laughs) Salute this man. Look at that guy. This man. Okay, so... This man is raw power. Look at that. Look at the power behind that shirt choice. So immediately I see this guy, and I'm like, damn, he looks like Sam Watterson. And I swear to God... I swear to God, he had like one of his two actual campaign workers goes, wow, that's great. I'm a big newsroom fan. And I swear to God, I thought, I thought he knew who I was and he was joking. He was like, yeah, yeah, the newsroom. You know that fucking punchline of a fucking travesty of a TV show? And I was like, what? The newsroom? I was like, what? Not D.A. Jack McCoy? And he was like, no, I just love the newsroom. So yeah, he had these two guys who were ahead of him. So I saw Sestak go by, and I'm like, LOL, there's fucking Sestak. And these two young guys behind him who are like retainers in a 40s like, ro- uh, uh, musical are like, yeah, the highest rank in all admiral to ever serve in the Congress. That's right. He looks just like D.A. Jack McCoy. They're, like doing, they're throwing their voices off to sound like there's more people. This Joe Sestak's full of ideas. He had the smallest crowd of anyone at the soapbox. Yeah. But then when we heard him talk, he was the only one who sounded like, uh, I don't know, a human being. Yeah. Up to he that point. He was up there talking to nobody. We were making fun in the back. And I just kept looking at him like, what the fuck? Because he's like, he's got a full emotional control of his voice. He's very lithe. He's like a dancer. He's moving back and forth on the stage with just this incredible very strong grace. Serial Pharrell energy. He's got grace. He's got arm movements. He's got very dramatic vocal tones. He knows how to pause. He knows how to go quiet. He knows how to go big. And I'm just like, I would follow this man into oblivion. If he, and I realized, I don't see him as the president, but if he came on TV and as Admiral Weitz and said, yeah, we're overthrowing the government, I'd be like, good. <laughs> this, this is a better solution than basically any other likely outcome for us right now. Matt, Matt saw this guy with his sort of, you know, Pacing like a panther in a zoo with that striped unbuttoned shirt. He actually shirt. had coiled potency, a real example of it. And Matt was like, I see him not as a politician, but as like a Bonapartist officer. Yeah. Yeah, he could be our Admiral Horthy. He could be our Lee Con Q. That's like a, a strong man to hold together all our contradictions through the coming economic and, so, uh, and geological crises. So... We get to the press scrum, and, like, nobody is fucking there. So we command his full attention. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, I want to ask him a stupid question about, you know, what aircraft carriers are made out of. Because Virgil, Virgil said the decks of aircraft carriers are concrete. And I wanted to ask him, you know... Yeah, how would it all be steel? It would get hot. He literally told the story about cooking food on the deck of an aircraft carrier. You can cook food on the sidewalk in Phoenix in the middle of the summer. <laughs> or, you know, I was going to ask him, like, do you think China has strayed too far from Mao Zedong thought? And he was just, he was sitting there talking, and I was just like, you know what? He has too much dignity, and I actually, it's stuck in my throat. So I just asked him, could you talk about China? And he was just like, yes, I fucking will. But Virgil, you got a good question in on Chestak. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we were talking about China for a bit. And my question was, you know, you say that... Uh, I asked him, is China communist or capitalist? And he says, well, it's, it's communist and capitalist. And I had a follow-up, and I said, 
Okay, well, so how is that dialectic resolved through capitalism, communism, something else entirely, or a total negation of both? Well, he said basically like China uh, is a country uh, ruled by a small elite that wields all economic power, and it, as such is completely different from America. <laughs> See, the thing is, is that, I mean, the worrying thing about CSEC is because he does, he has this vision of sort of like a, a, a barrack socialism where we're all part of basically military units, and we have a harmonious social order that is organized along military hierarchies. And... That's kind of scary, obviously. But the scariest part about it is because it's all a military posture pointed towards China for some sort of inevitable uh, conflict that would probably end life on this earth. But I kind of, in my mind, think that if President Xi and Admiral Joe could just sit things sit down over a beer, they could figure it all out. <laughs> beer summit. I really think if there was a beer summit between Admiral Joe... And, and President Xi, that they could hash the whole thing out, a global order, bipolar world, like international institutions that like prevent global warming from cooking everyone to death. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I've got my fingers crossed that he just takes over soon. <laughs> All right, I'll keep it moving here. Uh, we skipped Gillibrand because, yeah, yeah, exactly. We skipped Gillibrand. However, I will note that the New York Times out of rating all the candidate performances at the Iowa State Fair, gave Gillibrand the number one fit of the State Fair for a lovely sundress he was wearing. But, but, uh, yeah, fuck that, exactly. We have already established, we have already established. That is the fit of summer. That is the fit of the goddamn millennium. This is hot boy summer. And the other fit of the fair was, of course, Andrew Yang for dressing exactly like Virgil, Texas. All right, next up is the Dark Lord, Hinkenlooper. One of the werewalks of Karth. Look at him. He's flesh, fresh with blood. Look at him. It's dripping off his lips. What I swear to God, I, if you watched the last debate and you saw Hinkenlooper... He is gaunt, appears to be 80 years old, deathly pale. And then we saw him. He is at least 30 years younger and flush and human again. How is that possible without dark magic? He visited Lucy Westerna. Anyone? Anyone? No? You don't get that one? Dracula, read it, you fucking illiterates. Basically, Hinkenlooper looked like a vampire who had just fed... Yes. Again, I can't say too much about what he said. I took this photo of him and sent it to Felix. And Felix replied, roll for sanity. He talked a lot about, uh, he talked a lot about Colorado shit. How he was mayor of Denver and he got all the other mayors together to hang out with him and be his friend. And then he became governor and he was the first mayor of Denver to become governor of Colorado in 100 years. And it's like, who gives a shit? What the fuck are you talking about? But I did get to ask him a question in the press scrum. Yes. All the other questions are, uh, you know, if you're like this guy, if you're like a fucking no-name, 0-1% guy, all the questions are, hey, why is your campaign fucking failing? Why are you a fucking loser, you dumb bitch? Fuck off. And I did get to ask him a question. I said, you know, because he is not the only Colorado guy in the race. There's also Senator Michael Bennett, also from fucking Colorado. So I said, 
you and Michael Bennett are both running in the guy from Colorado lane. Why should Colorado-minded voters pick you over Michael Bennett? And he got pissed off at the question. But, But he answered it. But he answered it. And he said, essentially, if you want to, if you want to, yeah, Hickenlooper's answer to the question, like, why you over Michael Bennett? Is he said, Michael Bennett's a great guy. He's one of the smartest guys of the race. He used to be my chief of staff. He used to work for me. So essentially, that bitch cast checks, and I wrote them. <laughs> so, moving on, <laughs> moving on. Next up. Two of the big boys, Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker. All right, Elizabeth Warren, uh, again, don't remember most of her speech. Uh, she had a good crowd. We'll get into who had the bigger crowd in a second. But, you know, like, uh, don't, be, don't be fooled, though. Warren, Warren got a lot of pop. There was, she definitely got good response from her crowd. There was a lot of people there to no, see she had, her. Yeah, no, she had a huge crowd. She got, like, uh, applause for the plan stuff, saying, I've got a plan for X, Y, Z. Matt, how, how would you describe her speech, though? I, don't, I feel bad saying it, but it just I couldn't stop thinking it, is that her whole appeal, appeal basically boils down to, I was told by AppleCare that the capitalism would work. It's just, it's like an yeah. angry, it's like a consumer-based anger. Not like, a, not as an exploited worker, this, we're being fucked. Like, I'm not getting the choices that I should in the marketplace. Who do I talk to about this? So, uh, I, got, I did ask Elizabeth Warren a question at the press scrum about Medicare for All, and she kind of owned me, which, like, she, she fulfilled the dream of every, like, donut psycho on Twitter, uh, which is like, I asked you, like, do you regard uh, Medicare for All as, like, a goal to be achieved through a series of intervening policies and steps or something to be gone, like, all in on on day one? And she was like, shut the fuck up, idiot. <laughs> she was like, she was basically like, what the fuck kind of stupid question is that? I wanted, I wanted to ask her a question. I didn't have a chance to because she left after two questions she, and took a hidden exit from the press scrum zone. She, she threw a smoke bomb. She found bomb. the secret level. She threw a smoke bomb on the ground and then disappeared. Well, joke's going to be on her when we release the video, and it's her going, I flew on Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> wow, what a scoop. All right, we got, we got, we got to keep it moving quickly here. Uh, next up, fellow human Cory Booker was very There's much... Very, very, much... very human energy from this photo, as you can see. Yes, thank you. Thank you. So uh, Booker told a totally... Okay, I swear to God, he started off with a completely rambling story about how he had to say goodbye to a loved one just that morning, and I was like, what, Jeffrey Epstein? (laughs) He literally started on the day Jeffrey Epstein died with an anecdote about how I had to say goodbye to a really dear friend and relative... Turned out it was not Jeffrey Epstein. It was just his, like, great aunt or something that went into a long story about how he's from Iowa, blah, blah, blah. It's so easy to space out listening to Cory Booker because every one of his speeches is like, blah, 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 and that's what it's all about, community, and you understand that in Iowa and family. You could write... Life is precious. You could write a Cory Booker speech. You could write a Cory Booker speech right now, but here is the funniest part, is that as he was leaving the press area, 
uh, someone shouted a question at him. Uh, Corey, because you know, he's a vegan and people are trying to catch him out on that. And they go, uh, Corey, what did you eat at the fair? And he just goes, food. <laughs> uh, wh- whatever I had today, you can rest assured it is consumable by human beings. So, so he was the last candidate of the day on Saturday. And it was, it, was, it was sort of a kismet because Cory Booker's whole thing is telling sort of pointless anecdotes that, like, I don't know, fill you with some swelling sense of the good of your neighbors and fellow man and sort of across class and racial divisions coming together to solve the problems that America faces. Not class divisions. Uh, well, certainly no, not that. No, just one class <laughs> yeah, that yeah. he represents. However, as we were leaving the fair, we literally lived a Cory Booker-style campaign anecdote. And I'll tell you what happened. You know how, like, uh, to to park, when you go to the fairgrounds, it's like all the people who live around there basically turn their backyards into parking lots? So uh, we got there late, so it was like, it it was fucking, you know, really, really full. So we had to drive around for a little bit until we found some, like, a guy who was, like, shirtless and just waved us into a backyard. And we were like, okay, so, like, we, we, we pull into this backyard, get out, and we're like, okay, uh, do, do you want the keys? You know, because it was like, you know, fucking, there's a Tetris in there. And he was like, no, you take it with him. And I was like, okay, there's a 50-50 chance we're going to get this car back when we come back at the end of the day. And lo and behold, we get back, and what had happened was some wildcatter with an infinity, you know, class conflict, had... <laughs> had parked his car sort of diagonally across the driveway leading into the backyard where all the cars were so that essentially everyone back there was completely blocked in. The owners of the house, or like rather it was the people who were charging money didn't even own the house. I think the house was abandoned or something. (laughs) There was a lot of Andrew Yang-style entrepreneurship going on around the fair. So they had, uh, they, had called, they had called the police because you need to call the police who are the ones who can call a tow truck to move a car in a situation that like that. That isn't yours, right, yeah. Yeah, the, the car that isn't yours, right? So a police guy shows up, assesses, makes an ocular assessment of a kinetic situation, <laughs> and basically says, I could call... Yeah, he shoots, he shoots the dog that was walking down the street. <laughs> and he says... I'm not making this up. He says, look, I could call the tow truck, but if I did that, I'd have to give every car a ticket, and I don't want to do that. I would have to give you all tickets because it's, like, not good to park on, you know, private property. Who the fuck knows? He was just saying, like, I can't do my job because then I'd have to do my job. So we were, like, just waiting around here, and it was, like, a very strange mix of people. You had these sort of, like, two suburban, middle-class white ladies. You had the, uh, you know, like, the, uh, the, the people who own the house. You had people walking by. You had, you know, you know, urban, hipster, sophisticated elites like us. Yes. And then eventually it got to the point where we were like, do you think we could move this car? Yeah, just move it. Through brawn alone. And what ended up happening... Is we were like everyone sort of collaborated and recruited the help of several passers by, and it was like four or five people. Ooh, definitely cannot move the car. These things are fucking heavy. Five, six, seven people. It slid like butter. We just 
wedged it out of the way. So, the point of my Cory Booker-style inspirational anecdote is never fucking trust the police. They won't help you. It's... Look to the community to solve problems. There is, uh, you know, uh, solidarity across class, race, gender, which we're all well represented in moving that car. The point is, the car got moved. These were all strangers. We made it work. America 2020, vote chop up. Remember the Battle of Winterfell, everybody? The yeah, second, that was a team effort, too. The Second Battle of Winterfell. What? The Second Battle of Winterfell. Yeah, sure. I think you're referring to the Long Night. Wait, are you talking about the... Uh, oh, shut the fuck up. Yeah, no, shut the fuck up. Stop, stop, stop. We, we got, we're a tight schedule here. We've got to cut this up and die. All right. Sunday. We, unfortunately, we skipped Bill Weld and Tom Steyer. Oh. We're sorry. So uh, would, we, you know, would we have had a chance to ask Tom Steyer a question? Matt, what would it have been? Can I please have $10,000? <laughs> that was going to be it. I was just going to keep asking him for $10,000. And then if he kept ignoring me at the very end, I would go, can I have $5,000? <laughs> but unfortunately, it rained, and it wasn't worth it to get moist to talk to that guy. Well, I wanted to ask him, uh, so... You know you can only run for president because you're a billionaire, right? Isn't that fucked up? As if you were just uh, some guy, you'd be uh, Tom Steyer, the janitor who's insane and <laughs> thinks he ha- can solve all the problems. However, you know, for, for you well, weld, weld women and Steyer fanatics out there, well, first we couldn't get them, but any Michael Bennett heads in the house? <laughs> That's right. Bennett let off some steam. <laughs> He's always drugged? Yeah, drunk. Drunk? Well, I, I would say drugged because listening to Michael Bennett, I feel like he's on quaaludes. And, the, and, and, then, and then when I... But no, I feel like he's on quaaludes, but then I listen to him talk, and I feel like I'm on quaaludes. But, but not in a good way. Uh, no, wait, we have no photo of Michael Bennett. File no. not found. <laughs> One of us could summon the energy to lift our phones. Because what I realized while he was talking is that his entire cadence... Is like a fed-up vice principal who's yelling at the class for too much rowdiness. Like, look, guys, prom is a privilege. It's not a right, okay? And if you guys keep acting like this, I'm seriously going to consider canceling the whole thing. I was the superintendent of Denver Public Schools. I, and they, there's some people talking in the back right now. I need total silence. I need everyone's attention. You all learn how to do this. You're not showing Buckeye. Well, like a- you're not showing Buckeye pride right now. <laughs> that's Ohio, Hawkeye. No, that's Mash. <laughs> uh, you know, we we don't have a photo of Michael Bennett. Then you were saying it was just like, look, I'm the advisor to the yearbook committee, and it would really be nice if I could just have some recognition of you know all the after school time that I've spent. I'm, I'm the one who worked hardest on this whole thing. You guys were barely here, and I did all the layout, and I don't think it's right that I don't get a dedicated page. I don't know what convinced this guy that he's a human being. <laughs> I should not be running oh, for but, president. Uh, Virgil, so you, you didn't get to go. Yeah, right. So we went to the fucking press scrum for Michael Bennett. I don't know what the hell the other assholes are asking, but I got to ask my follow-up to the Hickenlooper question the other day and said, 
Senator, I talked to Governor Hickenlooper yesterday, <laughs> who you're competing with in the Colorado white guy lane, and he said you were his subordinate for many years, and that voters should support him. Why should they support you instead? And boy, he got pissed at that one. <laughs> and the first thing he said was, well, I don't think he used the term subordinate. And what I love about it, he said, I, and we're like, no, sir. He actually, the word was, uh, "quote Daddy Dom." <laughs> no, and uh, uh, Bennett was right. Uh, Hickenlooper did not technically use the word subordinate, but he uh, provided the dictionary definition of that word in his response. So that was Michael Bennett, which leads us into the reason we're all here tonight. St. Bernard, Daddy, look at that. Okay. The motherfucking prince who was promised. All right, guys. What I want to say about, uh, about here, uh, uh, seeing Bernie at the Iowa State Fair or seeing him here, is uh, I don't know if you've read it, but um, according to the New York Times, he, uh, he went to the Iowa State Fair and didn't talk to anyone. That's a shame. I'm going to have to deduct some corn dogs from his performance. So let's shift it to this reading series, this Bernie-related reading series. Courtesy of Sydney Ember of the New York Times. No, come on, come on, guys, come on, come on, dude, come, dude, come on. <laughs> well, love... she was a bridesmaid at my wedding. <laughs> what I what I love, uh, I will, I will give Sydney this. the the first The first couple sentences of this piece are like a haiku, and they're like kind of beautiful. Bernie Sanders examined the butter cow. He power walked by the Ferris wheel. He gobbled a corn dog. He spoke to almost no one. <laughs> Most presidential candidates use the 10 day Iowa State Fair to showcase their retail campaigning skills because it is one of the best opportunities to meet a wide cross section of voters before the caucuses in February. Yeah, a, a wide section, a wide cross section of Slipknot fans. Oh wait, sorry, that was Saturday. That was Saturday. I'm sorry. Mr. Sanders approached the event on Sunday, stride briskly, wave occasionally, converse infrequently, underscored how he has grounded his campaign in championing ideas rather than establishing human connections. See, if Hurry was a real politician like Joe Biden, he would wander pantsless into the tents and ask people where his family members are because he's afraid. I don't want to blabber this one too much, but he goes, says, his lectern-pounding, impersonal campaign style served him well during his first presidential run, especially here in Iowa, where his near victory in the caucuses against Hillary Clinton, the, for the former Secretary of State, transformed him into a threat for the Democratic nomination. 
Yet, even as his campaign seeks to project its strength in early primary states, there are signs in Iowa polls, conversations with local officials and discussions with dozens of voters. Yeah, those local officials and dozens of voters at the time sourced here, I'm sure were totally random. But uh, suggesting that Mr. Sanders, 77, may be struggling to gain traction in the state that fueled his political rise. You guys are fucking up! Come on, guys. Come on, you could take this to heart here. My favorite part of that article is one of the illustrative photos is a photo of Bernie, uh, like like in the press scrum in the like the main uh, uh, the main uh, uh, throughway of the Iowa State Fair, and then in the foreground are two thumbs down with the caption: "People gave Bernie a thumbs down at the State Fair." <laughs> What I will say about uh, seeing... This is the first time I've ever seen uh, Sanders in person or up close. And what I'll say is, look, like, every soapbox speech, like, you've heard it before. This is what he said uh, at the Democratic debates. This is what he said in 2016. This is basically what he's been saying for the last 30 years of his public life. But what separates him, in my mind, based on his soapbox speech, is that he is the only one of these candidates who can convincingly express anger at the situation that we find ourselves in. Okay? And not only that, the one thing he did different than every other one of the candidates that I saw is that when he walked into the press scrum area, usually they're like, uh, Des Moines Register, we get the first two questions. He walked into the press area and immediately started talking to the press. He big-dicked it so... Okay, folks, it is now... I'm sorry... You can argue against this, but you'd be using feelings rather than facts. <laughs> Bernie Sanders is the most big-dicked player in American public life. He did, not, he did not give the press one chance to ask him a question. He started in immediately. We have by far the most volunteers in Iowa. We have by far the most individual donors. And that is why we are going to win this state. And not only that, contra Sidney Ember in the New York Times, I conducted sort of a straw poll, an accidental straw poll, myself at the rest of the day at the Iowa State Fair. Uh, we saw Bill de Blasio after Bernie Sanders, but honestly, I don't really have much to tell you about that. Uh, honestly, that just rule should be back in New York. The friggin' six trains broken. He, he could never be Derek Cheetah. He could never be the captain like Derek Cheetah. Get the bell. Get the fuck frig back to New York, you bum. The friggin' six trains broken. Um, you call this a friggin' pizza? Bill de Blasio was definitely not walking here. Um, however, after we, we had closed out for the day, uh, during, while Bernie was speaking, someone gave me a Bernie sign. And I was carrying it around with me for the rest of the day because I'm like, yeah, I, I, you know, I, want, I want a souvenir. I want a, I, want a Bur- I want a Bernie sign. And so I had sort of like a weird straw poll experience of walking around the Iowa State Fair holding a Bernie Sanders sign long after all of the politics stuff had ended for the entire day. And I'm not bullshitting you. Between five and seven total strangers just said... Love the sign. Keep it up. Great work. We love Bernie. Especially the people who are working the uh, concession stands. I want to shout out... I want to shout out... I want to shout out in specifically 
the woman who is working the Appalicia stand that I got some incredible apple egg rolls from. She was the first one to say, I love the sign. We support Bernie. This is why we're here. Uh, the woman working the, the craft beer tent at the later on, just an old, a, a random old guy who just said, wave that high. And there was, I had like, like, met like at least six interactions like that. But in the interest of journalistic objectivity, I don't want to make it seem like that was the only reactions I got from the, from the crowd. One person, just as they were walking by, just goes, Bernie sucks. And I go, uh, not, not an argument, sir. Ad hom. <laughs> but here's the thing. Throughout the entire weekend, there was like definitely a contingent of uh, MAGA people at the fair, right? They had the Trump signs. They had the hats. But what I, but what I realized about them is that like, you know, while candidates were speaking, they would, uh, they would sort of like get to the sort of the very uh, outskirts of the crowd and then just yell, MAGA, Donald Trump! And then just immediately scurry away right after they yelled it. There is a palpable sense of shame that these people have yeah. deep down inside. It was, sh- it was shame-faced. Because they, you know, they want you to see the hat and the sign, and they want to, tr- you know, they want to trigger you. But when it comes time to actually, like, you know, put the words out of their mouth, they say it and they run away. And I want to give you my last favorite straw poll interaction. I was holding the sign. I was walking one way up a street, and there was a group of guys walking the other way past me like that. So we're like five or six guys, and as they're passing me, the guy goes, "Cool sign. Where'd you get it?" And I said, "Ah, oh, just like while he was speaking, someone gave it to me." And then he waits till he's about five yards past me, turns back and goes, he's still a queer, though. And I said, sir, you are right. Bernie Sanders is a queer icon. There was one guy I heard while we were waiting for Bernie to take the stage. He was walking by me, and he was not even saying it to us. He was saying it, I think, to his friend. Uh, Yeah, feel the burn in your pocket when he takes all the money out of it. So you guys are going to have to contend with that one. That might be tough. We don't have enough time, unfortunately. Uh, I, I, okay, we, we, have a hard, we have a hard out at nine. I, I just want... Okay. All right, I'm going to do this. Just the race one. All right. It's gonna... we, 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 so uh, uh, someone DM'd us a reach out to let us know that you have a local columnist of note, a local conservative. And, of course, we do the reading series here. And when we tour around, we, uh, we want to highlight the local flavor, the local... The local uh, con- shitheads. This, of course... And this, think- is, this is one I think uh, uh, some of you, as I know you're all big fans of the Des Moines Register, are familiar with. I'm talking about Joel Curtinitis. Gambo, Gambo, Gambo. Ours the Fury. I'll, I'll, I'll read you Joel Curtinitis' bio from thefederalist.com right now. Joel Curtinitis is an opinion columnist for the Des Moines Register and host of the Constructive Interference podcast. Joel was regional director for Ron Paul in 2012 and served as the state central committee of the Republican Party of Ohio. He enjoys reading, gaming, folk music, and the occasional foray into fiction writing. Joel and his family live in Des Moines. Okay, guys, real quick. This is Joel Curtinitis in the Des Moines Register. Your conservative friends aren't racists, and the accusation provides cover for real racists. There's a Joel Curtinitis speed run right now. Joel Curtinitis speed run, real quick, ultra fast chop up reading series. Joel Curtinitis, 
This week, I posted what might have been my first truly controversial tweet, and I'm still trying to figure out what was controversial about it. While catching up on the news about Papa John's pizza founder, John Shatner's resignation, (laughs) I started thinking about society's evolving standard for language and hazarded the following. Why is the N-word the only remaining curse word? Every word that shocked and horrified 50 years ago is now mainstream, but the N-word is so unthinkably evil. What about Fredo? (laughs) Every word that shocked and horrified 50 years ago is now mainstream, but the N-word is so unthinkably evil, it's a national headline when anyone says it. I've been asking that. (laughs) Even as a quote. Except rappers, of course. Those rapping bastards! They found a secret loophole in the N-word laws! The tweet garnered a variety of responses that ranged from the snidely condescending to the cheap and insulting, but most flailed at the straw man that I, as a white man, was complaining about the stigma of using a racist slur. I suppose in our societal race to the lowest common denominator, it's possible that nobody considered that someone might actually decry low standards rather than complain about high ones, or maybe it was just another intellectually lazy attempt to give me the Steve King treatment. And by... And by the Steve King treatment, he's referring to your actual white supremacist congressman here in Iowa. Wait, so is he arguing we need more N-words or just zero N-words? It depends on what... Should the rappers stop saying it or should we start? There used to be more N-words in the 50s. Iowa's Democratic Socialists united to insist that the register stop giving my dog whistle racism a platform in a tweet that grew a good bit of attention for the teapot tempest it tried to brew. As my note of... Oh, wait, can we show a pic? Oh, we're already there. Okay. There he is. So he goes, uh, as my notifications started to fill with angry responses and a continued insistence that I was, in fact, a racist who wanted to use the N-word at will, I had to think about where this road leads us as a nation. Shatner was pushed to resign from the board of a company he founded over the utterance of the N-word in the form of indirect quotation. He never used the word in a derogatory fashion or in reference to any person at all, but as an objection to the idea of a company ads, including someone who actually does have a history of using the N-word in discourse, rapper Kanye West. <laughs> Skipping to the end here. He's good now, though. He needs to, <laughs> he needs to get updated. The ethics of political correctness don't require much of anything. They're just markers of, for self-congratulation, allowing pretty much anyone who didn't march in Charlottesville to pat themselves on the back and feel good because they aren't racist or sexist. Wait, march on which side? <laughs> People truly invested in stamping out racism and bigotry should look at conservatives, particularly social conservatives, as allies in the fight and work together to elevate the national dialogue both within and without the context of the feared isms. By the way, by the way, the uh, social conservative movement founded by uh, Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson in the 1960s was founded uh, not on opposition to Roe v. Wade or abortion, but on opposition to the uh, desegregation of private religious schools. Broadly painting political adversaries the brush of racism only promotes easy dismissal of the underground resurgence of racial politicking on both sides, a current that we can ultimately fight only by standing together. And all saying the N-word. <laughs> 
If we all say we it all at say the it same time, it's nobody same. can cancel exactly. us. Exactly. If everyone says it simultaneously, no one gets in trouble. It's like the Area 51 meme with the N-word. They can't cancel us all. Mutually assured destruction. All right, guys. That was, that was the... <laughs> that was the curtainitis speed run. That was the quickest reading series. Uh, you have been infected with curtainitis. I decided. All right, guys. You guys have been honestly really litty tonight. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Vaudeville Muse. However, before I go for tonight, uh, I've got a couple pitches for you tonight. There are two people tabling here at the back of the show. One, of course, is the Bernie Sanders. Iowa campaign. I heard about this guy. Yeah. Uh, the other is the Central Iowa DSA. Okay. Uh, just, just for a moment about the Bernie Sanders campaign. Of course, you heard from their their please stop please stop the gambo. Thank you. Uh, you most of you are from Iowa. Many of you are from near Iowa. Uh, it's really important he wins Iowa because if not, that's it for that's it for society if he loses. Please, I want Christ. Please, God. Please, fucking Christ. Canvas for Bernie Sanders in Iowa and make sure he wins the fucking Iowa caucus. But, but that's not the if only. If you can't canvas for Bernie, at bare minimum, go and fucking vote for him. Go and caucus for him because. With so few people who fucking caucus turn out for the Iowa caucus, your vote is worth one million Will Menneker votes. It is worth ten million Matt Chrisman votes. It is worth as much as three Virgil Texases. Real quick. Real quick. And as well, when you're there, you know they do the thing where you need to have 15% to actually get fucking delegates. So there's a whole part where it kind of reshuffles and everyone makes the case to people who are there canvassing for losers like Hickenlooper and Bennett to, you know, come over to their side. Uh, do a good job of getting those fucking people on your side. Uh, Real quick, though, I also want to, for the Central Iowa DSA, I want to uh, please check out their table as you're going out. They just want to say they, they do have a working group tomorrow on Wednesday the 14th at 7.30 p.m. at Smoky Row. Please come out and check that out. If you're not already a member or if you're, I don't know, just check it out. Working group meeting tomorrow at 7.30. But as Virgil has already mentioned, just by virtue of your zip code, every single thing you do and your vote in particular counts about a thousand times more than what I do. This will determine your social credit score. <laughs> I just want to say, at the end of the day, uh, you know, if you've been following the show, you know what we do, you know what our record is, you know what we stand for. And I got to say, vote for Bernie Sanders, volunteer for Bernie Sanders. Do whatever you can for him. Honestly, in 2016, when we started doing the show, it was our, you know, we sort of latched onto the campaign and the, 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 the hope and possibility that he represented in 2016 and were pleasantly surprised with how far it went. But that was like, honestly, that was playing with house money in 2016 because nobody thought it could happen. But here in 2020, everyone's expecting him now and everyone's working against him. So this is honestly in 2020, and I mean this. This is We have to leave everything on the field because if you don't, you're going to kick yourself 
if you didn't. Even if win, lose, draw, you're going to kick yourself if you didn't do every fucking thing possible that you can do, especially here in Iowa, to make sure that he wins. Because he is the only one... He is the only candidate where it is... He's the only candidate that represents what I believe in and what I know a majority of people in this country believe in, especially young people, and especially if you listen to our fucking show. So please, 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 God, he needs the fucking momentum from an Iowa win. It's socialism or barbarism in this fucking country. You have to fucking do it for us. One more time. Check your phones. Go to bsanders.us slash forward slash forward slash <laughs> the slash key. All right. <laughs> I will uh, rebuild my ironic wall that keeps you separate from uh, all the pain in the world after exposing myself to you in a slightly sincere manner. But oh, I want to say that was scary. That was yeah. sweet. Vaudeville Muse, Des Moines, Iowa. We are Chapo Trap House. Thank you guys so much. It's been an awesome week. Thank you. Good night. Uh, real quick, just give us like 10, 15 minutes. 10, 15 minutes to, uh, for Virgil to shit out of his doo-doo ass. And then we will be, uh, we're going to hang out in the front uh, if we can by the other uh, two tables out there. Please come say what's up. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Cheers, guys. Good night. Thank <laughs> you.